I'd say the philosophy of ministry of a church is perhaps not as important as the theology of that church if we want to be be pedantic about it, but it really, it's hard to separate the two because the philosophy of ministry, the way you go about doing church, as we say, that is the outworking of your theology. What you believe about God will affect the way that you go about ministry, how you do church. And I think in many cases, the execution of your theology is more obvious to people. People would say, all right, that's, you believe that, that's nice, but you act like this, so no thank you. The Bible tells us to adorn the doctrine of Christ. And in many cases, this is more important to many people than some of the secondary matters. Everybody wants to go to a church where they believe in the Trinity. They believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, salvation, etc. Maybe they're not quite sure where they stand on some of these other things. They're willing to be instructed. But what does matter to them is how ministry is done, what the church is like. Some of that's carnal, right? Some of that we, want, we treat churches like hotels that need to have all the right amenities and things like that. But some of it is very important. Like the way we do this matters. So I have found in many cases, our theological differences, when you get down to it, are actually methodology differences. Folks will often call out this or that preacher and say, he's a false teacher. And I try to correct this as much as I can in certain cases and say, no, no, he's not a false teacher. Y'all have a philosophy of ministry that is so different, it's hard for you to see that he's actually preaching the same gospel you are. I might not do it that way. You certainly wouldn't do it that way. But we need to make sure before we throw words like false teacher or heretic around, we know where the difference actually lies. I don't think what we do as Calvary Chapel is particularly complicated or surprising or even that exciting maybe. But it is important to know why we do what we do rather than just showing up and doing it. So there's a lot of small points to go through here, and some of them will take more time than others, but I think these are all things that we wonder about and things that we have thought through and care about. So let's just begin from the very beginning and look at the structure of Calvary Chapel. I've already hit on this a little bit. Calvary Chapel is an association, not a denomination. What's the difference? Denominations are centrally organized, meaning there is a a board, perhaps, that oversees. There's an assembly that gathers together. There's a convention that comes, and they make the decisions that then are binding on the other churches. Calvary Chapel Association is not that way. We are independent churches. I don't have to ask anybody's permission for doing any of the things that we do. We have an association. We are submitting to one another, so we have done this on, on purpose. It's a voluntary association. If I were to start teaching doctrines that were totally outside of what Calvary Chapel preaches, then I would not be in trouble. I would just be asked to leave Calvary Chapel. So there's no, they don't own the building, they don't pay my salary, etc. All financial and ministerial decisions are ours. And it's also, though, expected that we will fellowship with the other churches and engage with the regional leadership in humility. So there is a structure, and it's similar to what you see in, in many denominations where you've got regional leadership and national leadership and some, so on. But they're never going to come around and check up on us and make sure we're doing it right. But we are expected to recognize that these are guys that are godly and have done it for a long time and can help us. And we do that. We, don't, we do not keep to ourselves here. We love going to the conferences, and I'm always talking to the other guys and using other people's resources. That's, that's what it's there for. We are not opposed to denominations, so we're not some sort of anti-denominational thing. That is not at all who we are. But I do think there are a lot of advantages to this system. For example, if 
a denomination were to get hijacked by certain heresies or by certain sins that were then mandated for the rest of the church, no one can tell us to do that. Even if all of Calvary Chapel were to go super corrupt tomorrow, we could keep on doing exactly what we were doing and I wouldn't have to worry about my paycheck falling through or something like that. So there's some advantages to that. So how does that affect our church governance? Well, you can talk to me about this later if you like, but I'll just tell you, the Bible does not give a mandate for how a church ought to be governed. There are several different examples in scripture of how churches were organized. And for that reason, we are not pushy on this. And we often will have a variety of church governance, but it tends to fall in one or two different ways. So the way Calvary Chapel Trustful functions, we have a board of elders, of which I am one, that makes the major financial decisions, that also provides accountability for me as a pastor, both doctrinally and morally. And we also get come together and put our heads together and plan what we're going to do as a church. Big picture stuff. However, here, I as a senior pastor have the discretion to lead and to establish ministry. So I, if I wanted, for example, to launch a new home fellowship, I wouldn't need to go to the board and ask permission for that. I also don't think I'd have any pushback from the board if I wanted to do things like that either. So we don't have a staff right now, but eventually, you know, that, that would be something that I would handle. I would certainly seek the counsel and advice of all those guys. But so we have a, 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 an elder board. We also have a pastor who leads the ministry. And so that doesn't really fall neatly into an Episcopalian or Presbyterian category. Calvary Chapel, if you Google it online, what's wrong with Calvary Chapel? I love doing that every now and again. They'll say, well, Calvary Chapels are just led by one pastor and he dominates everybody else. Well, I've not seen that in my years in Calvary Chapel, but some guys hold to what they call the Moses model, right? That God raises up one man and he leads. We have a version of that, but I think in the Bible, it's very clear that accountability is important. And Paul went about establishing elders so that no one man had all of the authority and the power. But, you know, don't believe everything you read online. So, so we're never going to take votes here, right? We're never going to have uh, a, a church meeting, business meeting, so to speak. But the pastor leads the church with a team of godly, accountable men. So if we don't vote, what does that say about membership? Well, you all know we do not have formal membership. If you attend here, if you serve here, if you tithe here, then you are considered a member. So when the bank asks us sometimes, well, how many members do you have? Then you know, we can tell them roughly how many members we have, but we do not have a formal list of members. So we don't have pledge drives, for example, at the end of the year. We want to know what you're going to tithe. We don't have any other kind of overbearing policies where we're going to stick our fingers too far into your life. We trust those things to the Lord. And I found that in many cases, people come to Calvary Chapel and it is a huge relief for them that there's not some very intricate membership structure where people can push each other around and it gets political and people try to lobby support for things. That doesn't happen here. And it does present some disadvantages. I think one of them would be church discipline, for example. Uh, But I do think this is a good way to do it. And if you do all things humbly and in love, then you're not going to run into those kinds of issues. So that's some of the structural things. None of that is that surprising, I wouldn't think. But let's look to our our services now. How do we actually execute ministry? Well, we have our primary-ish worship service on Sunday. I try not to think of Sunday morning as a primary meeting. I try to think of it as one among many, but I also am not foolish about that. And I get it. Most people are going to come on Sunday. So we're going to use Sunday as our example here. We don't have a formal liturgy. We begin with worship through song and through music. We then have typically our announcements, which will go right into the sermon. 
I like to have time for scripture reading. We've been reading through the Psalms every Sunday morning. I've really enjoyed that. I think you all have too. I like to give testimonies every once in a while. Been a while since we've done that, but I'd love to do that again. And that's more or less how our services are going to go. I'm also, though, not, af- not afraid to shake things up every once in a while. One of these days, we're going to have prayer meeting on Sunday morning. I'm going to say, if you want to hear the sermon, you can come Sunday night, just to see how that goes. You can't shake that up. Oh, sure we can. Sure we can. It's still worship, right? We're not going to pass the plate on a Sunday morning. There are Calvary chapels that do that, but this is something that was instructed to me, and I think it's a great way to do it, which is we have the offering boxes available. Part of this is a, is a thing of grace. Folks have come to those churches where Money is a big deal, and it takes up a big part of the service. And, you know, you've got this, this pressure that's constantly on you. And many people have found Calvary Chapel, and one of the first things they've told me, Virginia or here, is, I love that you all just have it there. You don't make a big deal out of it, and money's not a focus for you. So that's why we do it that way. I would not be afraid or feel like I was doing something wrong if we were to take up an offering for a certain instance or something like that. But... That's, that's the way that we do that, and I think it's a good way to do it. We also do this thing, and this is something that people will wonder about and worry about, although it shouldn't be a worrying thing. We will encourage the church to greet each other in every service after we finish the worship, not just because it gives us time to transition from the band to the teaching. And I am serious about that, because I think it's important for you just to say hello. We're not going to make anybody stand up and say, tell us where you're from, etc. Just turn to the person next to you, say hello, give them your name, Why? So that way you've already begun a conversation. So when the service is over, you are able to continue that conversation. And nobody's ever going to say, nobody said hello to me. Well, we are saying now is the time to say hello to everybody. It's an important thing. And hopefully those conversations will continue when the service ends. So that's more or less the layout of what we do. And as I've mentioned many times, the calling card of Calvary Chapel is verse-by-verse expository preaching. We believe that the church when we come together, is a place for the church to be edified. And this is, there is difference of opinion on this. That when the church comes together, is this a place for evangelism to happen, or is this a place for edification to happen? Well, I think both of those things should, but I think the Bible makes it clear that the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And also, the church in America has changed. The culture has changed. People do not so much feel the obligation to come to church any longer every Sunday where you're, you're not going to have a bunch of sinners coming out of obligation, you understand, where you want to make sure that that gospel message goes out every week. So we focus on teaching the Bible more than evangelistic preaching. That's split in hairs, but if it helps you understand, there you go. Although evangelistic preaching is very important too. And as the church grows, I would imagine that we'll see more of that. As we're not sure about everybody coming through, we never want to miss the chance to share the gospel. And, and as you teach the Bible, you're going to get to the gospel sooner or later. It just pervades everything, right? We're always talking about Jesus. We'll often start at the beginning of a book and work our way right through it. Right now we're in Romans on Sunday. We're starting Exodus next Wednesday. A lot of people say, well, Sunday's for New Testament, Wednesday's for Old Testament. Not always. I think it'd be a lot of fun to do something like Daniel on a, on a Sunday morning, for example. It would have been great to do Genesis on Sunday morning, too. And then have the New Testament on Wednesday nights. Because we believe all Scripture is beneficial for the church. Often we'll go through it in canonical order, meaning we'll go straight from Luke, a gospel, into Acts, and maybe then go into Romans, which is what we're doing now. But we took a detour before. We went to Thessalonians because I felt this is what needed to be addressed. I plan to go starting from Genesis pretty much all the way down, at least through Nehemiah, and for a while to 
go straight through in order, but I'm not bound to that. Pastor Chuck used to teach a topical message on Sunday mornings and then his verse-by-verse teachings on Sunday nights. So that's another thing to say. Um, This is not rigid. As I'm saying right now, we are in a series that is not verse-by-verse teaching. I have no problem teaching a single message that is maybe just what needs to be said or a series of messages. We've done them on the canon of Scripture. We've done them on the Trinity, for example. And uh, I don't think that that's somehow doing something wrong or betraying Calvary Chapel to do it that way. But the main diet of the church is going to be verse by verse. I try to explain what the text means prior to applying the text. Usually we'll hear me take a little breath before I move into the application because I want to make sure that we get what it says and what it means and the context and the grammar and put all of that together and understand it. Now let's have the lesson for the day. So that way it's an example for you. You know how the Bible ought to be studied for yourself and also you'll be able to identify when it's being done poorly when somebody's trying to teach you something that maybe they shouldn't. And the idea of this is after a few years, we'll have taught through the whole Bible. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Say, hey, we've preached through the whole Bible. I've never even remembered that there was a book called Zephaniah. But, you know, we spent a few weeks talking about it because it's all good and it's all important. And we talked a few weeks ago about how that feeds our theology, too, and it gives us a good balance. So that's the teaching. Let's talk about worship music. Obviously, the term worship does not always mean music, but that's in common parlance how we describe it today. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Calvary Chapel, as we talked about during the history section, pioneered contemporary worship music. They were the first ones to do that, historically. And we carry on that tradition today. We have contemporary worship music as a whole. We're not, we don't have an organ, we don't have a choir, etc. There are no prescriptions in the Bible regarding instruments or arrangements. Although if you really want to push it, and I was a worship leader for many years, people would try to push things with me. So if you want to look at what the Bible says, it says to play loudly <laughs> with crashing cymbals and seven-stringed instruments. And I used to love to say, the only seven-stringed instrument I know is a seven-string guitar dropped, turned way low, and they usually use it for really loud music. There's no prescription in Scripture other than to celebrate to the Lord. It's less about the form and more about the function. Like, are we celebrating the Lord? That's what it's for. So we are, and I've, I've soft-pedaled this before, but I want to stop doing that. We are pro-contemporary worship music in Calvary Chapel. We are not just, yeah, we do it. No, we believe it is a good thing. We are not grudgingly accommodating it. Because I believe, and I think the Bible can show us this, the church and the, the people of God are to give voice in every generation to what he's done for them. And all across the world, we would never go to a, a tribe in the middle of the jungle and say, y'all need to start having organs and you need to start you know, having choir and things like that. We say, no, what, what, how do you play music? How do you sing? Let's write your songs, but let's celebrate what Christ has done. Yeah? Well, it's the same thing for us here. That as the cultures change and as different parts of the the country have different ways of doing it, you're going to find differences of worship music. That's beautiful. To use a word that has been beaten to death and we're all kind of sick of, but that's that's the best kind of diversity. When you've got folks who are down here, they're maybe going to play something that's a little more soulful, a little more country perhaps. You're going to go up north, you're not going to find any of that. When you go out to California, it's going to feel a little more beachy, right? That, that's, that's okay. That is perfectly acceptable. This is not to downplay any of the, the older ways of doing it, hymns or spirituals. In fact, I try to keep them in rotation. and I'm always telling the worship team, at, at least one hymn, because they're so good. I mean, because everybody likes them and they know them. 
But the Bible also tells us how many times, sing a new song to the Lord. The Lord's like, sing me a new one. Write me a new song. Every time something cool happened in the Bible, they'd write another song about it. They would praise the Lord for it. But the church is to be coming together constantly to make that melody. So we never want to be imitating anybody else. I'm always telling the guys in the team, they're like, well, should we do it like this? Should we do it like that? I said, y'all play it your way. Take the song and you've got him that plays this way and her that sings like this. And this is your whole vibe. Well, it's going to come together and it's going to make something unique that our church puts together. I'm very passionate about that. That we don't just play it the way that everybody else is playing it, but that when you come together, it's like, this, this feels like us. This feels like Calvary Chapel Trustville. That said, go ahead and get this out of the way in case anybody wasn't sure. We are fans of guitars and drums and synthesizers and drum loops. We like loud and fast songs because the Bible tells us, sing some loud and fast songs. We also like slow and contemplative songs. We like lights, we like videos, and we like LED walls too. That's maybe a long way away from here, but you know, we, we have a very scaled down version of that right now because we're a rather small church. And I, I never want us to try to pretend that you know, there's 10,000 people when there's not, right? <laughs> but I know some people have some, some trouble with that. You know, like, oh, this just doesn't feel very spiritual. It feels more like this. I always want to remind them, go back to this, the writings in the Bible about the tabernacle and the temple. The Lord's like, I want you to make this beautiful temple out of the most beautiful limestone you can. And then I want you to cover it all with gold. And I want you to skillfully make these tapestries and make these wall hangings and paint these beautiful things on every wall and burn incense so that it always smells beautiful when you come in here. And let's have carvings on the doors. Let's put it high up on the mountain where everyone can see it. It was a very immersive experience. You, you even ate when you came to the temple because you would offer your sacrifice and then you'd eat the sacrifice. So, I think that while we maybe some of us are more comfortable with it than others, the way that contemporary worship is done now when it is done in the spirit and it is done without any kind of pretension is a wonderful way to worship the Lord. I think we've been able to recapture some of that immersive experience that the Lord had for his church. I think even in, uh, look backwards in, in culture, the immense cathedrals that were built with the stained glass and the beautiful uh, acoustics so that the choirs when they sang would be heard and you would realize, okay, God lives here. There's something to that. So there is a lot of excess in contemporary worship music, mostly because there's a lot of money in it. Amen. And so it gets just, you know, churned out. And there is some very thin music that we can avoid, where there's like, there's not a whole lot of substance to this. It sounds good, but there's no substance to it. But I think also we want to be, be careful of dry and stuffy, because the Bible talks about the worship of the Lord. We're going to clap our hands and we're going to stomp our feet and we're going to dance before the Lord and we're going to shout for joy and the girls will sing this part and the guys will sing this part and this is written for this instrument and that's written for this over here and give this one to the leader of the choir so that we can get all the voices come in. By the way, I would love to have a choir Amen. when we get there. So I'm not anti-choir. Don't get that out of this. I'd also love to have an organ if we could you know, figure out how to get it in the walls here. But... But I think worship is supposed to be, I don't think, I know, it's supposed to be our time of coming together, lifting our voices and giving God praise and giving God glory. And it's very easy to say things like, well, the song's written today, they just don't have any substance to them. There's no theology in them. Guys, that's not true. Yes, there's always going to be bad songs written. But if you take the time to find it and listen to it, 
It's like, wow, that's, a, that's incredible. I've never heard it put just like that. And that's wonderful. And I used to tell songwriters, too, oh, I just hate all the songs being written now. I said, all right, then write one. Write one. And I'm not even being sarcastic. Go write a song. I think we should be hearing songs that are ours come out of the church. Not so we can write an album and everybody, you know, come to our shows and stuff. But there, there are things that are uniquely ours. And that you hear that and you go, yeah, that's, that, that's from our church. I remember why that was written. And so when the, the songwriters make these songs, we come together and say, this is why I wrote it. And this is how the band brought it together. And let's sing this together. There's a really cool thing there that we get to do. So that's, that's worship music. And as a, as a worship leader myself, I place a very high priority on this. So that's something you can expect if you're going to be around here for a while. Now, connected to that is something that is also, this is less of a priority than the things I've talked about before, but it is just important to notice. We have what you might call a casual style, which means I don't wear a robe, right? We, you know, y'all are not expected to wear a suit and tie. The ladies aren't expected to wear dresses and all the rest of that. We are reverent, meaning we don't come in here just saying, yeah, it's just like anywhere else. Well, it's not like everywhere else, but we never want to be overly formal and stiff. And here's the deal. This is not a mandate that we have, right? This is not a mandate laid down saying, you must dress casually here. (laughs) No, it's an open door. The song that was written about Calvary Chapel back in the day had that famous line, long hair, short hair, some coats and ties. People finally coming around. So the hippies are like, yeah, we got this great hippie church, but you know what? It's not all hippies. You got the guys with the short hair wearing suits, and it's great. We're all together. So you should never feel pressured to dress down if you feel more comfortable dressing up. If the ladies want to come in and you want to wear your beautiful dress and wear the hat and everything else, you knock yourself out. We are never to make one another feel badly about how you have dressed in the church, unless you're wearing something that is inappropriate and sinful, but we're not talking about that right now, okay? Anybody can walk through that door and not feel excluded. And even, by the way, if somebody did come in and they were dressed inappropriately, take a minute to find out who they are and why they're here before you jump down their throat, right? That's important. So we're going to see some in t-shirts and jeans. We're going to see others in suits. I think I preached last Wednesday in a t-shirt and jeans, and I've preached in suits. All that is fine. No one should feel pressured or awkward. The point of this, and some of the other things I've just been mentioning, is not to be cultural, but to be biblical. And this was one of the lessons that Calvary Chapel was, was born in. Folks were dressing funny and had weird hair, and the church is like, we we're not going to even talk to you until you change all that. And the Lord taught the church a good lesson. He's like, hey, that's a stupid thing to get bent out of shape about. Let them in and let's preach the gospel to them. It also enables us to, by having a casual style, which is not just the way we dress, but in other matters as well, it enables us to feel comfortable here. Why? Because I want everyone to make sure they are free to ask questions, to pray freely, never feel like this is such an intimidating thing. I'm not going to say a word. Free to invite their friends and so on. And it would be really easy for me, again, to come up here and say, it's silly to insist on dressing the way you want when you come to church. It's like, yeah, but it also would be silly for us to insist on the same thing to allow someone into the church. It's all about our next point, grace. Grace in all things. All our dealings with one another in Calvary Chapel are to be done in grace. That is kindness. That is friendliness. That is a willingness to forgive. That is patience. God chose to show us grace when we were yet sinners. 
And Jesus told a lot of parables that said, don't you dare come and accept my grace and then go out and shake people down. This means that we are kind and we are friendly with one another. We are never hard driving. We're never manipulative. There's two extremes there. You can be the hard driving man that makes everything happen. You've got to get in here and you've got to do it right. And I, you're late with here. I told you to be on time. And you also can be passive aggressive and manipulative, right? It's like, oh, well, it's okay that you're late because Jesus told us to forgive. And I would never want to push. You know, you, I, I know you're sorry for what you've done. It's like, ugh, that's not gracious, is it? No, no, no. These are toxic attitudes, and we don't let them go on here. We speak forthrightly to one another. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You can apply that out to say, don't beat around the bush and, and try and get people to kind of get it. Just come out and say what's going on. Forthright. We defer to each other. And we're not going to insist on our own way here. And we're going to take an interest in one another. If somebody looks down, don't just say, hey, you okay? Good. Okay, good. No, we take an interest. We're gracious with one another. Even when somebody sins or makes a mistake, we will forgive them as many times as necessary. This means patience. It means kindness, especially when you're working with a new believer or maybe somebody who's younger than you. But there's a willingness to be kind while we also are willing to rebuke them in love in order to maintain that loving attitude. Well, I just mentioned ministry teams. It's another important thing. It's how we do things here, this church, with volunteers. We hold very highly the place that service has in a Christian's life. And so we try to make space for it. My job is not to do all the work. My job is to equip the saints to do the work. So it's your job to do the work. It is not just about getting things done. And this is the problem. Sometimes in our ministry, whatever it is, hospitality team, children's ministry, we know what the goal is to get it done. So I can get it done better than everybody else. Everybody else, out of my way. No, that's not how it works. You've got to bring along the guy who's terrible at it and be patient and give him a chance to do it and a chance to mess up because we want other people to be raised up to serve the Lord. It's about allowing your gifts to be used. And you know, folks will come in and say, well, I really want to find a good small group. Hey, I love small groups. We have those too. My favorite small groups were always my ministry teams. That's where I made friends. That's where I went out and did things for the Lord. That's where I was able to talk about things that really mattered to me. When you're serving together, there's a unique bond that grows. And that's discipleship, right? We do things together. We serve. We work together. And I, as the pastor, sometimes make it a point not to come to things. So that you all know you do not need me to do everything. But it's up to you. And give those in the body a chance to step up and serve. And if you're not serving, you need to think to yourself, okay, what can I do? And I'm a big believer in come up with something and tell me, and then you do it. <laughs> Don't just come up with ideas and say, now off you go, Tyler. So I'll say, that's a great idea. Go give me a one-page plan on how you want to get this done, and we'll talk about it. That sounds like a lot of work. Well, it is, but it's okay because it's for Jesus. <laughs> Speaking of that, this especially applies to the raising up of men for ministry, the pastorate for missions, things like that. Calvary Chapel does not insist on education to be ordained. We do have formal ordination. But the main things that we look for are recommendations from brothers and sisters who know the person and their consistency and faithfulness in ministry, as well as doctrine, obviously. 
But that's more important for us. We don't, we're not going to look and see if you have a master's of divinity. We're going to look and see how many years have you been serving at your church and for how long and how many people can tell us of how God has used you and seen fruit in your life. I'm always looking to raise up the next guy, to train him, to give him a chance, which is tied to our goal of church planting and missions. Calvary Chapel Trustville is not the end game. We have not planted the last church the world will ever need. We want this to be another link in the chain. And we want to link another nine or ten other ministries and churches to what goes on here. As the years go by, I want to see more and more of y'all gotten rid of. As you go out and you plant churches, and you go out and you go onto the mission field, and you go out to be trained and to serve somewhere else. I'm always telling our ministry leaders, you need to be constantly training your replacement so that you are freed up to go and do something else. And then they're bringing up the next person. But what happens, I found, at least when I was in ministry and in another church, I'd raise up four guys and they'd get, they'd get snatched off to go to other things. And I've got to raise up another four guys and train them. And then they get snatched up. That's how the church works. We believe in that. We value personal evangelism, outreach, and missions, which is why we're always trying to train people up. The commission must be fulfilled. And I'll add one final point. This is not specifically stated in Calvary Chapel's philosophy of ministry, but I want it to be specifically stated for our ministry here, and that is prayer. Prayer is air. We prioritize it. We keep prayer central. Without it, we'll suffocate. We'll be forced to strive in our own strength. All the things that we're doing, if we're not going to keep prayer right in the middle, we're going to be in trouble. That's why every small group prays together. We pray before the services. We pray together formally on Sunday nights. We have weeks of prayer. I want to do more of those as the years go on. Because I never want it to be said you did not have because you did not ask. Right? All of this goes back to Scripture. It all goes back to the Gospel. And this philosophy of ministry, it's not essential to be a Christian. But it is us. And it's the way that we do things. And there's a lot of variety that will even take place between different Calvary Chapel fellowships. And as we grow, we may look different in 10 years than it looks right now. But I hope that the, the principles and the values that are at the base of this will always be true of us. And I am, as I said earlier, thrilled to be a part of what God is doing here. And I can't wait to see the outworking of this ministry.